Did anybody see the new hashtag that kind of took over this last week? Uh, hashtag, can I change my vote? Did any of you aware of that? You weren't aware of that? I thought it was funny because I, I, I think it kind of ties in to my message when you grab onto something and realize later maybe you should, shouldn't have grabbed onto it or maybe you should let it go. I'm so looking forward to this election cycle being over. I'm absolutely sick and tired of, of everything. It, 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 you know, the interesting thing is uh, it doesn't matter what happens on Tuesday. Um, we're not going to know the results of anything till long after. And um, it really doesn't matter who's in the White House. I'm going to tell you that right now. Um, it, it, it troubles me a little bit as I talk to pastors and look at churches about how out of their ever-loving minds they get over what, what we're going to do on Tuesday. As if somehow God's sovereignty is contingent upon someone in the White House. It just doesn't make sense to me. Um, I mean, it seems every time you turn on the television or the radio or something, just, it's just... It's everything's negative, everything's bad, and everybody's trying to convince you of how bad and evil and, and rotten everybody else is, and it's completely antithetical to anything you read in Scripture. I believe there is a sovereign God, uh, and that He can work His plan regardless. I mean, look, He's been doing it since our nation was founded, and actually He was doing it before our nation was founded. He has a way of carrying out His plan and His kingdom regardless of who's in leadership or not in leadership, and he's going to do the same again. And I'm just amazed at, at how much we grab onto things, hoping that, 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 that by grabbing onto something, it's going to make something better. And all the while, God says, hello, <laughs> it's me. Uh, and, and so I was, I was thinking about the whole, can I change my vote movement and the whole election thing that we're in? And I just had to wonder, I wonder, have you ever grabbed onto something only later to think, man, I just want to let that go. If I could change my mind, I would. But we, we've, we, we oftentimes, we, we grab onto something that we hope is going to bring us pleasure, that we hope is going to bring us joy, that we hope is going to excite us or meet a need or, or, And we soon come to find out that it doesn't last and doesn't really do what we hoped it would do. But once you grab a hold of it, it's hard to let go of it. One of the things I know is that sometimes when we grab onto something, we control it. But sometimes the longer we hold onto it, it starts to control us. And there comes a point where we have to realize that sometimes some of the things we've grabbed onto aren't worth grabbing onto anymore, and we've got to let go of some stuff or some people. Yeah. Yeah. I want to share with you something that uh, has been on heart, my heart for a long time, and, and, and we've talked about it in the past, but I just want to remind us, if you have never seen this before, this is something we believe that if we're going to change our world, my world, and the world around me, there is about seven characteristics of world changers that we have to understand. The first is this, that world changers have a vibrant and growing relationship with Jesus. It, we, we cannot and we will never affect change, lasting change, apart from him. 
Not only that, but people who change their world and the world around them have a vibrant and growing relationship with people. I, I don't know if you heard what I heard this last, uh, just the last couple of days, that people hospitalized for mental health issues in Tulare County has gone up 300% in the past two months, primarily amongst children and teenagers. Because we were designed for relationships with people. And what has happened, and I understand we're in this, we're in this, we're in this, this pandemic. I understand it's a very real threat to a lot of people. But, but one of the threats that, that is definitely a threat to is the mental and emotional health and well-being, especially of young ones. The fact that in Tulare County, mental health hospitalizations gone up 300% ought to be alarming at some point. Now, we can have contact with people, but not community with people. We can have contact with people over Zoom, but not community. And in order for us to be healthy and have a vibrant, we have to have a vibrant and growing relationship with actual human beings. We're not made to live in a vacuum. And those who change their world have to be people, have a vibrant and growing relationship with their spouse, their children, their family. Whichever of those you have, you have to have a vibrant and growing relationship with them. People who change their world will never be the people, ultimately, who are at odds and in conflict and fighting with those who are supposed to be closest to them. It's not going to happen. Those who change their world will be people who live with financial freedom and sacrificial giving to God. I, I, I talk to so many people that so desperately would love to follow God, would love to, to be about, you know, the father's business, but they're tied to their credit card debt. We would love to be generous. We would love to be free. But we're tied financially to things that we've grabbed onto and now we wish we could let go of. People who change their world are people also who live a life free from bondage to substances, behaviors, and fears. Again, when you grab onto something, you hope you're going to get something from it. And some of those behaviors we've grabbed onto, we realize now we should let go of them, but we can't. Some of those substances we've grabbed onto in the past, we realize I got to let this thing go, but I can't. And what concerns me so much is this whole idea of fear. That it seems as though ever since March, and granted, great reason to be cautious. I'm not, I'm not downplaying what's, what the... the What's going on in our world? I'm not downplaying that at all, but I understand this. There's great reason for somebody very cautious and concerned, but my concern is for the others who have lived their complete lives in fear of what might happen, what could be, but what if? And that fear is so encapsulated in our world. It, it, it's like when you, when you have chronic pain. And when that chronic pain kind of creeps up on you and you don't even realize how pervasive and profound it is and you don't realize even how much pain you're in until it leaves. And then you're like, oh my gosh, I feel fantastic. Like, then you realize how much pain you're in. That's what I think is going on in so many people's lives with fear. We've lived with it for so long. And it's been so pervasive. Every news outlet, every media is telling us how much we should be afraid of. And we're living with this umbrella of fear over us. And it's grabbed on us and we've grabbed on it. And we've forgotten what it's like to even live freely of it anymore. 
people who will change their world and change the world are people who have taken great risks in faith. Can I just be real honest with you? As if I haven't yet been? If you claim to know Jesus and have not risked greatly in faith, you don't really know him. This God calls us to risk greatly in faith. You can't live a life of faith and a relationship with God without risking in faith. You might know about him, but to know him, People who change their world are people who have a great zeal for sharing their faith with other people in their huddle on the front row of their life. Because of what they've experienced of him, they cannot help but say, oh, I got to tell you. And in order to live this way as world changers, we have to realize that there are some things we must let go of. There's some things we must let go. And there may be some, dare I say it, people we have to let go of. Let let me just be real clear. I'm not talking about your marriage. Okay, so I just want to put that out there. That like that that may have happened, or, or there's some situations around way me that has to happen. That's not what this message is about. That's a whole separate deal we could talk about later. I'm not talking about that right now. So get get like, get that out of your mind. I don't want you anybody walking out there. Oh, finally! <laughs> oh man, so, talk about chronic pain. I never know how much how free I could be. That's not what I'm talking about. So let's just be clear. What I've said from the beginning of this series is that how you trust God today will position you for blessing tomorrow. How you trust him today will position you for blessing tomorrow. And see, this is so counterintuitive to how we live. Because what we, the way we live, the way we're conditioned to live is, 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 well, you show me, you prove to me I can trust you, and then I'll trust you. That's how we run our relationships. God does it different. Most of what God does is the flip side of what we do. And so God says, you trust me on the front end, and I'll show you that I'll bless you on the back end. And so in this series, Position for Blessing, in order to be those world changers, there there are things we can do to put ourselves in a position to be blessed of God. And we've talked about these things. Keep ourselves in a position of prayer. Keep ourselves in a position of expectation, a position of trust. But here come the next two, and they're difficult. To keep ourselves in a position of letting go and to put ourselves in a position of leaving behind. And those sound contradictory to what the first ones are, but I'll I'll talk about it. And we're going to end up talking about to keep ourselves in a position of embracing what God's doing and a position of faithfulness to what God is doing. And let me just be clear, though, I, I, want you, I don't want you to walk out of here with a misunderstanding. I'm not talking about ways we can manipulate God's hand. I'm not saying that if we live a certain way and do a certain things and behave a certain way, that God owes us something, we can make his hand do something for us. That's not at all what I'm saying. But I am saying we can live in such a way that we put our, keep ourselves in the position of the blessing of God. 
His blessing is completely contingent upon his grace and it is scandalous and is completely at the discretion of his sovereignty and his providential sovereignty over us. He chooses what he will do and what God will not do. We do not, but we can put ourselves in a position to be able to receive that which he is doing. How you trust God today will position you for blessings tomorrow. Do you understand? And so to get a picture of this, I want to go back to the Old Testament. <clears throat> if you go to the front of your Bible and take a right, before you get to the middle of your Bible, we're going to be in this little portion of the Bible in 1 Samuel. But just to kind of set the stage of where we are before we get to the Scripture, the people of God, the Hebrews... They had been in captivity in Egypt. And one of the greatest stories that they always loved to tell and still do is their history about being in captivity in Egypt and then by God's mighty hand and outstretched arm on their behalf, him getting them out of bondage and out of slavery. And, and, and the story goes, as God did that, he led them through the desert, led them through the wilderness. An entire generation had to die off before they could get into the promised land because you can't take uh, the mentality that they have as slaves and being controlled into freedom. And so a generation of them had to die off. So the guy said, okay, now I got you. And now you're mine. And through that time, Moses was leading them. Moses didn't get to lead them into the promised land. He died on a place called Mount Nebo up above the promised land. As he was standing on Mount Nebo, God showed him, this is, this is where I'm taking him. But he didn't get to lead him there. And he looked down over this mountain. And he saw a very fertile land. He saw what would be Jerusalem and all the, the, the city of date palms. They're just beautiful and gorgeous. And he was, he, he, he was left there on that Mount Nebo. And in his place, God raised Joshua to lead them actually into the promised land. And through Joshua's leadership, God led his people into the promised land. And God said, through all this, I am your king. You don't need some politician to woo your hearts and convince you promises they will never keep. I am your king. Follow me. And through that process, God raised up people that the Bible calls leaders or judges. And these leaders serving as judges led God's people through all kinds of seasons, Political turmoil, crises, successes led God's people. But it's interesting to me, something happened that I see time and time and time again in our world. Pretty soon, after a while, everyone has an opinion about how the leader is leading. Everybody. And those who have the greatest, loudest opinions have never led themselves. And these were just like us. As Moses led them, they started grumbling against Moses. And as Joseph led them, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Joshua led them, he did all right, but he had his detractors as well. And God says, I'm going to be your leader. But eventually they even turned on God. Everyone has their opinion. And so the people looked at God and they said, God, and I'm so glad that like you don't do this. But these people looked at God and said, God, we understand what you want and what you said, but we got a different opinion about how that should go down. I I'm, thank you that you never do that. I know I never do. And they said, God, we understand you have an opinion about how this should be done, but we want it done a different way. We want to be like everybody else around us. We really don't want to be that different. 
We see what everybody else has, how they do stuff, and we want to be like them. We want a king. And God says, well, you got one. It's me. Trust me. He says, I know how this will go down. If you want to be like everybody else and do it like everybody else does, you can do that, and it's going to go bad. And he says the same things to you and me. He says, I have a way designed for you that I've mapped out both for my glory and your benefit. If you follow me, you're going to be okay. And we respond, yeah, God, I know that you have your plan, but I'd really do it my way. And he says, look, I can let you do it your way, but it's going to go bad. And that's what he told the people. And they said, that's fine. We'll take it upon ourselves. And so God has a way of saying this. God has a way of saying, well, if you don't want me to lead you, that's fine. Y'all lead yourself then. Do any of you have a big bass system like that? Because if you do, don't play it around other people that don't like your music. Would you just be sensitive to that? My goodness, I'm glad you and people in TV land can't hear that. And so God says, fine, you want a king, I'll give you a king. So he chose for them a man named Saul. And so he told his prophet Samuel, go and anoint Saul as the king of my people. Now, Saul was a great choice from the human's perspective because Saul was tall and handsome and good looking. And sometimes that's all people care about. He was kind of like the JFK of his day. Now, some of you young ones don't know, JFK, what? Is he a blogger? Is he? I think I saw him on YouTube. I, like JFK was, he was a, he's good looking. He's charismatic. Uh, uh, that, that's one reason I'll never run for president because I could do it. I'm just not tall or good looking enough, but I could, I could do it. And so they choose, God says, I'm going to give you Saul. And so Saul starts off as the king and leading them. But pretty soon, God removed Saul from leadership. Saul was really struggling with how to follow God and how to lead in following God. And, and the final straw was uh, as, as God's people were going into battle against the Amalekites and, uh, and, uh, and God said, look, destroy everything all the people, all the resources, don't keep anything. Because usually when you destroy, you conquer somebody, you have to keep, you know, keep all their resources. God says, I don't want you keeping anything of theirs. It's going to lead you down the wrong road. And so knowing that, Saul said, yeah, I understand God, but I got a different way. I got a different opinion. I'm going to keep some of the best of the best. I'm going to keep, keep Agog alive. And God said, okay, then if you're going to do it your way, you're done. Take my hand off you. So God withdrew his hand from Saul. And we know from the story that eventually he put his hand on David and said, you're going to be the next king. And David was God's anointed one. And he told the prophet Samuel, take your, I've taken my hand off of Saul. I'm going to put on someone else. The problem with Samuel is that he had so much invested in what he had grabbed onto, he didn't want to let go of it. And God said, I got something better, but God didn't tell Samuel exactly who that was. So because God didn't tell Samuel exactly who that was, Samuel didn't believe God had anything better. And I'm convinced that we've got to learn to let go of some things. Because one, we can't move forward with God while holding on to things we shouldn't be connected to anymore. It tethers us to something God has moved on from. 
And I believe that we have to learn to let go of some things, especially because here's the thing. The decision to let go of precedes the act of leaving them behind. If I stand here with this thing, I should leave behind. And emotionally, I say, I let go of it, but I stay here. I'm never going to let. And so I have to go through the process of emotionally realizing I got to let go of you. And then the act comes of actually leaving. Patient's going to deal with that next week. I'm excited for you to hear that message. And so this is the context that we find ourselves in in 1 Samuel 16. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to 1 Samuel 16. There's only one and a half verses we're going to look at. This is the context. God has delivered them. He's shown his ability to lead them. He's got them into the promised land. He has led them in the promised land to times of great prosperity and blessing. He has showed himself faithful to deliver and to move and to rescue and redeem as their refuge. And they have cried out for something different than what God has for them. And because God is a gentleman, will never force himself upon anybody. He says, fine, do it your way. And God takes his hand off of Saul, the first king. And this is what he tells Samuel, the one who he had told to anoint Saul as king. Now God says, how long, Samuel, will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. This is only one and a half verses long, and this is where we're going to spend most of our time. I want you to understand that God tells Saul, or tells Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? In other words, God says, how long will you give your attention and energy to what I have moved on from? Now, again, this is true for every area in your life except your marriage. I just want to make that abundantly clear. So don't like read this through your own selfish lens of, yeah, because there might be time for that to happen, but that's not what we're talking about. So just stay with me in every other area. Do you know what I'm saying? Am I clear? Am I clear? Don't? Okay. I just don't want to get blamed for stuff. Now, the difficult thing about this message is, is if you... If you were here or listened to my message last week, what was that about? It was about holding on. It's about trusting. It's about don't let go. Don't walk out. Hold on and trust. God's got a plan. He's going to make a way. And that preaches really, really well until you get to 1 Samuel 16. And it seems very different to say now it's time to let go when last week it was time to hold on. How do you know when it is God's plan? to let go. You know, there's the old adage that says, when the horse is dead, dismount. Right? But some of us are so focused and bullheaded, we'll be on that horse on the ground saying, giddy up, horse, go, giddy up, go, giddy up. So how do you know? Is the horse sleeping or is it dead? Because there's a profound difference. I don't know if any of you have ever struggled with this, but have any of you ever kind of thought about the idea of the difference between an obstacle and a closed door? Have you ever wound up against that thing in life and you're wondering, is this just an obstacle I'm supposed to keep pushing and trusting? Or is this an actually a closed door where I'm supposed to let it go and move on? Has anybody ever struggled with those decisions? 
There's a profound difference. You realize that, right? If it's an obstacle, well, buck up, little soldier. Ain't going to be easy. Push through, keep trusting, get going. But if it's, I mean, how many times have we run into closed doors over and over and over trying to break it down? The Bible says, if God shuts a door, no man can open it. If God opens the door, no man can shut it. And so when God shuts a door, you ain't going to open it. How do you know the difference? So can I share some wisdom with you about how to know? Is that right? One of the ways, and this isn't all of the ways, but one of the ways, you know, the difference between an obstacle that you push on through and a closed door that you just let go of. One of the things, and it's probably the most important thing, is how long have you spent praying about it before you encountered it? Before you encountered it. That's why when I started this whole series, what was the first thing that keeps yourself under a position of being blessed is prayer. On the front end. I'm not talking about here's this difficulty and now God, what do you want me to do? And that's our problem. That's what most of us do. There isn't enough prayer on the front end to know God's voice, to hear God's voice, to know before we get to the problem of the voice we're hearing. And so one of the questions we have to ask ourselves on the front end, how much time have I already spent in prayer? I mean, if you were to read 1 Samuel 15, you would read that Samuel cried to God and prayed day and night till he submitted. Now, I'm not talking about all of a sudden I got this issue. God, let me know what you want me to do. Give me a sign. And all. When that's your method of operation, what you're going to have is a best guess rather than God's voice. And so I would suggest to you, how much time have I spent praying? If you've spent much time in prayer, I'm not talking about a day. I'm not talking about minutes. I'm not talking about weeks. I'm talking about much time in prayer on the front end before you ever get there in prayer and expectation and trust. And yet by the counsel of godly people who are already also hearing God's word and God's voice. See, you can't hear. When it comes to these moments of obstacles and closed doors, to go to people who are not already hearing God's voice, asking them what their opinion is, at best you're going to get their opinion. Do you understand? So you've spent all this time in prayer and expectation of trusting God, yet... The counsel of godly people are also hearing God's voice. And, and, and yet there's this peace inside your own heart because the Holy Spirit for the Christ follower lives inside. There's this peace that even though it's difficult, you're at peace. And then it is confirmed by God's word that you are to leave it behind. But see, here's the thing. We can talk to people and enough people that will tell us what we want to hear. And then we can feel good about our own decision because after all, it's our decision. 
And if those things aren't in line with God's word, there's two things you can't trust. People's opinion and your fees. So the default is always God's word. So if you come up against this thing, is this an obstacle or a closed door? And there's been a lot of time in prayer and people who are hearing God's voice confirm, no, it's a closed door, get out. And there's peace, though it's difficult. No, I understand, it's time for me to move on, leave. And if that's confirmed in God's word, then let go and move on. But if there isn't that prayer ahead of time, if it's not confirmed by people who are already hearing God's voice, if there is no peace about it, if it's not confirmed to God, if none of that happens, if you're not praying on the front end, you'll never know those other things. And what you'll have is your best guess, and you'll struggle with letting things go you should never grab onto. Do you understand? And this is what's going on with Samuel regarding Saul. He spent much time in prayer before God ever told him this. He knew what it was to hear God's voice. And there was confirmation in his own heart, even though it was difficult for him to accept. And it was certainly confirmed by God's word and with God's word. It was time to move on from Saul. You know, you know those things in your life that are, you are attached to and that are attached to you that God is saying, it's time to move on. God tells him, fill your horn with oil. Has God ever told you that? Fill your horn with oil. No? No? Like, a horn? I don't even have a horn. And if I did, I can't play it at Thanksgiving time. Governor Newsom said I can't. So I don't even know what I'm supposed to do with my horn. Like, fill my horn with oil. What? Oil, oil was used in the Bible as a, as a sign of anointing. That God's hand and favor was on a thing. That his blessing and presence was there. It was a sign of God's choosing. And what God says, fill your horn with oil, because the oil in the horn had run dry. Because Samuel was trying to manipulate God's hand and make the blessing of God fall on upon Saul so much that the horn ran dry. And God says, quit trying to force my hand. Quit trying to anoint something I have left behind. If you're giving energy to what I have not declared, move on. Do you understand? And there are so many people who are praying and begging for God's blessing, for his anointing, for his favor. And he says, you don't understand. You're wasting all of that of something I have moved on from. And God says, I'm sending you to Bethlehem. I've chosen one of Jesse's sons to be king. See, one of the problems that, 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 that Samuel had with moving on is because the only thing he saw in front of him was Saul. And we make the mistake of assuming that what we see before us is the only one thing that God has for us. Do you understand? Well, this is the only thing I see. This is the only thing I have. So obviously God's got to be in this one. See, God is a master at preparing something to move on to. He did it with Moses. God moved on from Moses to Joshua. In this case, God moved on from Saul to David. God moved on from Elijah to Elisha. God moved on from Judas to Matthias and then later to Paul. Paul had Barnabas, and when Barnabas left him, he had Silas. God always has another. And when he calls you to leave something, it's because he has another already lined up. Do you understand? 
We make the mistake of thinking, since this is the one God's given me, this is the only one he has to give me. God never calls you to a vacuum. He never calls you to emptiness. One of the things, let me tell you this. It's 1131 already. I got the best stuff coming. And so you're not going to offend me if you got lunch plans and you got to go. I understand. You're going to miss out, though, to your great detriment. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> Can I finish this? One of the things that will keep us from moving into God's prepared future for us are the people that we've attached our lives to. It's people. To round out this story, I want to go back way in the Old Testament, Genesis 13. Genesis 13 is the story of a man named Abraham after God called him to leave his place, his, fam, his, his, his father's household, his land, and go to a place that God would show him. Abraham obeyed and went, and the Bible says Lot went with him. God didn't tell Lot to go. God didn't call Lot to go. All Lot saw was, I like Uncle Abe, and I want to be where he is, and so Lot tagged along. Now, God is so good that God promised his blessing to Abraham, not to Lot, but sometimes you get God's blessing just because you're around the one he's blessing, and so Lot got a bunch of blessing from God to so much so that both Abraham and Lot had gained so much they couldn't live in the same land together. And the Bible says in Genesis 13, Abraham's words, Lot, so that there's not strife between us, so that we don't tear our family apart, bickering and fighting, you go your way, I'll go my way. The interesting thing to me about that is that Abraham, with great grace and mercy, gave Lot the preferential treatment. Most of the times when we separate with people, it's through great consternation and conflict. But Abraham said, you choose first, I'll take the left. I will subjugate myself to you, even though I'm supposed to be the called one. I'll subjugate myself to you so you can be honored. Amazing. Now, the reason that happened is because there's a difference between companionship and partnership. Lot was a companion of Abraham. It was not a partner companionship are those we have in our lives because we don't want to be alone. Partnerships in our lives are those in our lives who further God's call and develop his image in us. In your huddle, in the sphere of your life, you will have people in your world who, who serve the role of companionship and who serve the role of partnership. But be very careful that those closest to you are not serving the role of partnership. You need those who... I'm sorry, who, do, who don't serve the role of partnership, or companionship. These, I'm getting confused on the words. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Those closest to you have to be those in partnership who help you fulfill God's call and develop his image in you. The problem is most of us have those closest to us, those serving that role of companionship because we don't want to be alone. And the danger for those who know Jesus is to sacrifice God's call out of fear of being lonely. I just need people around me. One of the best things that you can learn, especially when you're young, is this, how to be alone. One of the best things you can learn. See, if you don't learn how to be alone when you're young, the struggle's only going to get more difficult when you get old. I'm just saying, telling you right now. And if you don't learn how to be alone when you're young, you're going to be a very difficult spouse to be married to. See, 
when people who never learn how to be alone get married, they expect their spouse to meet all of their emotional needs. And any one of us who is married will tell you that is not possible. Jesus is the only one who can do that. And when you expect your spouse to fulfill Jesus' role, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Just ask my wife. (laughs) Here's the thing. Young ones, you're not married yet. Listen, if you bounce from relationship to relationship to the relationship because you can't handle being alone by yourself, you're going to make a very difficult spouse. And parents... We've got to understand that part of our job is to help our children learn how to be alone and be content. Now, this is my words. This is not from the Bible. Thus saith Carl, not the Lord. I suggest parents not allowing their children to have boyfriends and girlfriends when they're at elementary school and junior high. Because they're not even comfortable being with themselves yet. They're not even comfortable with who they are yet. What in the world makes us think they're healthy enough to get into a relationship with another person and develop bad habits? So to move into the place where God is calling us, we have to have people in our lives to live in partnership with us of pursuing that. Now, it's okay to have people in companionship because we have to have people in companionship And because oftentimes the people who are just serving as companions in our lives, if they're not developing God's image in them, then they're great people to witness to. We got to have them. I'm saying don't have people like that. I'm saying don't let them get closest. Because only Christ followers can serve that role of partnership because they're fulfilling, they're pursuing God's purpose for you and in them. And that was the difference between Abraham and Lot. It was the difference at this point between Samuel and Saul. I know I need to be done. Let let me just give you one overarching principle that's overriding this this whole scene between Samuel and Saul. This one overarching principle... Samuel says, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, because he's going to hear about it, he'll kill me. Do you even remember where God told Samuel to go? Not just Jesse's house, but where? Bethlehem. God told Samuel, go to Bethlehem, to Jesse's house. Jesse's house is in Bethlehem. Now, this is one of the reasons I'm so convinced of God's sovereignty. God could have had Jesse live anywhere. The whole kingdom was wide open. But God specifically had Jesse raise his boys in Bethlehem. Why Bethlehem? Okay, y'all can come up here, Rick. Okay. (laughs) God told, told Samuel... Go to Beth Jesse of Bethlehem. Why? Here's why. Don't miss this. The kingdom that Saul was ruling at this time was very small and limited. Bethlehem was outside of the jurisdiction of Saul. It was an independent location. And so when God said, I'm sending you to Bethlehem because I know Saul's attitude. I know he's someone you have to leave behind. You're scared to leave him behind because you think peril's going to come. I'm sending you to a place of safety when you leave so you can follow me. Don't be afraid of leaving. 
See, Saul or Samuel was concerned. Saul was a part of his past. And Samuel was concerned. If my past catches up with my future, I'm going to be destroyed. Have you ever felt that way? If my past catches up with my future, it's going to be to my peril. If my past catches up with my future, it's going to destroy me. I got stuff in my past to help. Jesus knows about it, and that's all who need to know about it. I'm not going to tell you my past. Jesus already is aware of it, and he's okay with me. But if that catches up with my future, I'm ruined. Have you ever felt that way? And so God is telling Samuel, look, Samuel, in order for you to be under my hand of blessing, you got to leave some stuff behind. And I know you're afraid that if you leave them behind, your future is uncertain. But I'm telling you, you leave it behind. I'm leading you to a place of safety. If you leave it behind, I'm leading you to a place where I already am. See, God is so good. And his grace is so scandalous that God will even protect our future from our past. But there are things in our past we have to leave behind. We got to let go. You know how, God, how good God has been. Because you know you have not reaped all that you've sown. Have you? You might have reaped some bad stuff, but you hadn't reaped everything you've sown. You know that God has kept you from, from, so, so, from some of the destruction that you probably deserve. I know he has me. See, here's the important. If Samuel were to stay where he was, he could not follow God. He had to let go. The problem is, if Samuel stayed where he was and tried to follow God, he'd be destroyed. So Samuel's only welfare, his only benefit, his only protection was to leave was to let go. Like come to the emotional, the spiritual realization that this I must let go of. Now I have to work out the process of actually leaving. Here's what I want you to know. That you can let go and be okay. You can let go and be okay. Don't be afraid. To leave some things behind. Trust God's grace. Both over what you're letting go of. And what you're walking into. Because he's God over it all. He will protect you even from your past. And he'll bless you. He is so good. My God is so good. That he'll bless you in spite of your past. Some of you, the horn has run dry. And God is so good. He doesn't walk away saying, well, that's on you. I gave you plenty. You waste. He doesn't do that. He said, let's feel that thing again and get after it, right? Let's feel that again and get after it. But you'll never get after it staying where you are. Holding on to what you're holding on to. You've got to let go. So here's my question. Here's my 12-minute late question. What or whom do you need to let go of? What in your past that you're still holding on to that you have to let go of? 
What in your present? What hurts? What habits? What fear? Do you need to let go of? Last week, I encouraged you to hang on, hang on, hang on. This week, I'm encouraging you to let go, let go, let go. Because we live in this strange dichotomy of both. What do you need to let go of? Why don't you pray with me? And let's seek the Father's heart. I pray for you every morning. I want you to understand that. And so you and I are not walking into this thing blindly right now. There have been prayers on your behalf for years. And so though this may be your first time of seeking God's voice, it's not my first time on your behalf. And so I invite you in this moment to join me in prayer because we've already been talking to God. And ask him in no uncertain terms, Father, what do you want me to let go of? Just spend this moment of prayer right now asking him, God, what is it? Who is it that I need to let go of? What's in my past that I need to let go of? Get my hands off. What's in my present that I need to let go of and get my hands off? Just stay in this moment for a minute. Holy Spirit, I ask in the strong name of Jesus that you'd speak to your people. What is it that we need to let go of? Just stay in this moment. See, we erroneously think that God is a God of addition only. He only adds and adds and adds. Sometimes God's a God of distraction and subtraction. He says, look, I want to distract your attention from this right now. I want to subtract this from your life. so that he can do amazing things beyond what we could ever hope or imagine. So ask him, Father, what is it I need to let go of? Holy Spirit, I believe that you want to talk to your people. And I pray with great confidence and assurance that in this moment, you are talking to people right now about what we must let go of. I pray that your conviction would fall. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you be very clear and that you would give us the grace and the confidence and the assurance that when you call us to let go, you're not calling us into nothing, that you're calling us to something. Would you help us understand that the something that you are calling us into is good and is blessed and is of you, that eventually you will show yourself profound and proficient, the great sufficiency for our future, that you would give us the confidence in this moment to let go, to let go, to let go, so that we can move with you into where 
where you are and to what you're doing, that we would keep ourselves in a position of being blessed by you, by your sovereignty. You will choose what you do. We're not asking for specifics like that. We're not forcing your hand at all because we never could. But by your grace and by your providential sovereignty, would you open up heaven and pour blessings on us as we let go of things that we should have never grabbed onto or that have gained control over us. We have confidence because not only of who you are, but because of what you've already done in the past. And we can look back in the past and know without a shadow of a doubt that you're going to do it again in the future. But we can't stay where we are, holding on to all the things we've held on to and walk with you into that future. So in this moment, God, in this moment, for these who are ready, for these who really want it, you know the meditations of our heart as well as the word from our lips. So in this moment, Father, would you allow us the freedom of letting go? We love you. And we will not fear the process because the result is blessed. What do you want us to let go of? We're going to invite you to stand as we continue in our time of worship and response.